The word of God this morning comes from John. Uh, We'll be reading from the 8th chapter, verse 21 through 29, and then verses 34 through 36, and then 51 through 59, and then we'll be turning to the 14th chapter and reading verses 1 through 4. You can find these in the Pew Bibles on page 894 and 901, and in the following Jesus Bible at page 11. 51 and 1158. So he said to them again, I am going away uh, and you will seek me and you will die, and you will die in your sins. Where I am going, you cannot come. So, Je- so the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world that I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me, He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Then moving on to verse 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Then moving on again to verse 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Now turning to chapter 14, uh, beginning with verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, 
I will come again and, I, and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know, and you know the way to where I am going. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. If you have little ones, first grade and under, who would like to go to our children's worship, I'll invite them to line up at the door. Miss Brittany is going to walk them across the way. If they have not registered previously and you don't have a sticker, we'll invite that at least one parent or guardian go with them to get them signed up. Bye-bye. When I was in seminary, um, one of my New Testament professors was an Irishman named Colin Nickel. And regularly in class, he would get wound up into a fever pitch and would come out with one of his most repeated catchphrases. And he would tell us that as pastors and exegetes of the scriptures, it was our job to plunder the text. The scriptures in his mind are like an ocean with treasures buried deep under its waves. And to get to its most beautiful golden truths, we need to be like pirates, thieves, scoundrels, greedy for gain, that must dig and dig and dig until we have found every truth that there is to be found. And with some texts, that's easy. It's like the gold is just laying on the sand. Today, we have John 8, which is a beast of a text. There are, there's a lot of gold just laying on the sand here, but there's a lot to be dug into. To plunder the text, to get to the bottom of this chapter, is going to take us four Sundays. You didn't know you obligated yourself to come four Sundays in a row by coming today. It's what we do. We bring crawfish in, and you're stuck with us. You've got to come for four Sundays. And all four of these sermons really are together one very lengthy sermon um, that, that leads up to a, to a very important uh, conclusion on May 28th. And today we start with a very simple question. You probably know the answer to it already. And the question is, where is Jesus now? Like today, where, where is he? In fact, maybe one of the kids in the room wants to answer the question. Kids, where is Jesus right now? All right, Miss June, where's Jesus? He is in heaven. That is correct. But that's not exactly what Jesus says in our text. He talks about where he's going. But he never uses that word. You're right. But he never uses that word. Let's look first in chapter 8, verse 21. Let's start digging in the text. Verse 21. So he said to them again, I'm going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So Jesus tells this crowd in the temple. This is after the Feast of Booths that we looked at for a couple of weeks. Jesus tells the crowd in the temple he's going to a place where they cannot come, but he doesn't tell them exactly where he's going. What's interesting is that what Jesus says negatively in chapter 8, he says positively in chapter 14. In chapter 8, he says, you crowd, you can't go where I'm going, but in chapter 14, he tells his disciples, you can go where I'm going. So look at chapter 14. Verses 1 through 4. Jesus says to his disciples shortly before he would be crucified, he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. So after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, 
Where did he go? Where is he today? June, you're right. Heaven is where Jesus is. He is in heaven today. But Jesus doesn't use that word heaven in the text. Instead, he says, I'm going to my father's house. Why not say heaven? I think it's because he was trying to teach us something. He was trying to teach something to his listeners. He was trying to teach something to us. And it's this, that Jesus has returned to his father's house. But what does that mean? Well, first, when Jesus returned to his father's house, it was indeed a return. So Jesus wasn't going somewhere that he hadn't been before. He was returning from whence he came. He had been in heaven with the father before he was born of Mary. Now, this isn't new information in the Gospel of John. In fact, we've heard it over and over and over in this book. In John chapter 6, Jesus had just fed a crowd bread, and he said this. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. He said a similar thing in chapter 8. This is later in our chapter. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, he says to the crowd, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. So Jesus makes no ifs, ands, or buts. The crowds at various times did or did not understand what he was saying, but he was being very direct. I existed before I was born of Mary. I came from heaven. God sent me here. And the author of our gospel, John, he understands too. He begins his gospel this way. He says, in the beginning, as in of all things, was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus, after he had been dead for three days, is raised from the dead. He then lives on the earth for 40 days, being seen by many witnesses. And then he ascends into heaven. And he wasn't going somewhere he hadn't been before. He was returning from whence he came. He had been with God the Father before he was born. God had sent him from his presence to the earth. And now Jesus would return to his father's house. That might not seem terribly important at first glance. In fact, most if not all of you probably already knew that. Maybe that's a part of your assumptions about Jesus. That he existed before he was born. That he was in heaven with God. But I can assure you. This was a very strange thing for Jesus to say. And when people heard him say it, they thought he was nuts. In chapter 6, how did they respond to his statement? They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? So there wasn't an assumption going around that he was born of a virgin. There wasn't an assumption going around that he was God, that he had existed before he was born. This was a strange statement to their ears. And guess what? They didn't believe him. And because they didn't believe him, he says in John 8, you can't join me there. Right? So that's why in chapter 8 he says, you can't go where I'm going because you don't believe in who I am. But then in verse chapter 14, he tells the disciples, hey, you know the way you're going to be there with me because you believe in me. There was an essential belief that had to, to be in a person's heart that Jesus had come from God 
to earth and that he would come back again. But again, why call it his father's house? Why not call it heaven? I I was in heaven before with the father, and one day I'm going to be in heaven again with the father. Here's why. This notion of the father's house implies several things. First, it implies a location. Second, it implies a state of being. Third, it implies a relationship. And fourth, it implies an activity-laden purpose. So this phrase, Father's house, is intentionally poetic, intentionally evocative. There's a lot of meaning baked into this short phrase, and it gets used throughout the Gospel of John. And first, yes, he is talking about an actual location. So Jesus has now returned to the place where his heavenly Father lives. We don't have the time to get into this, but Jesus was raised from the dead physically. Jesus has his body, and he is in his body in heaven now. And that raised all kinds of questions of, well, where is it then if he's still in his body, and what is that experience like? We don't know. What we know is it's a place. Jesus went somewhere. It's a place the people in chapter 8 couldn't go. It's a place the people in chapter 14 could go. And in fact, he really emphasizes with his disciples that it is a place. So look again at chapter 14, verses 2 and 3. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you, also, you may be also. So, Jesus has gone away. One day he's going to come back and take us to himself. Well, that sounds like a reference to the, to the second coming, doesn't it? So is this suggesting that we won't go to heaven until Jesus comes back? That when we die, we're just going to be kind of unconscious or asleep until he comes back? Definitely not. Scripture's really clear about that. Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Also, on his, during his crucifixion, Jesus tells the guy on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. So when a Christian dies, they go to heaven. What Jesus is communicating is when he comes back, all of his followers at that point, those who are still living and those who have already passed, will be in the place where he is. And what does he call that place? His father's house. But the thing is, it's not just the location. It's also a state of being. So Jesus has continued on in the eternal life that he has always had. So Jesus, before he was born of Mary, was alive. He had life already. And Jesus had no beginning and no end because he is God. And now he still has that same life. He has eternal life. So look at chapter 8, verses 51 through 59. There's no better way to prepare for crawfish than Christology. Uh, it's just a good way to start. Verse 51. Truly, truly, I say to you. Listen to the boldness of what Jesus says. It's unbelievable. When people tell me, I don't think Jesus is God. I don't think he's, any, he's just a, a, a good teacher. You go to this paragraph, and that just dies immediately. What he says here is so wildly bold. If he's not God, he's full of nonsense. He's a crazy person. Right? Just listen to what he says. Verse 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. 
The Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. In this paragraph, we find two of the most gargantuan, otherworldly statements that Jesus ever made. First, in verse 51, he says that if anyone keeps his word, they'll never see death. They won't die. They won't experience death. They won't even see it. And if that's not wild enough, in verse 58, Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. And then immediately they try to kill him by stoning him to death. Why do they try to kill him for saying that? Jesus' statement before Abraham was, I am, is a claim to divinity. He wasn't saying, I existed before Abraham. No, he said, before Abraham was, I am. What did God call himself in Exodus and in Deuteronomy and in Isaiah? Anybody know? God called himself, I am. And what was God saying by that? God was saying, I exist and I am the source of all existence. I am. I am the only self-existent thing. And any existence that exists does because of me. I am the source of everything. So Yahweh told Moses that and Israel and the prophets that he was the source of all existence, that he is I am. And now Jesus claims to be the same figure. He's not just saying I existed before Abraham did. He's not just saying I existed before Israel did. He's saying I am God. And I am the joy of Abraham. I am the fulfillment of all the promises to Abraham. And when I was born on that day, Abraham rejoiced. So Jesus is claiming to be God, to be self-existent, to be the hope and joy, not just of Israel, but of the whole world. And for once, the crowd understood what he was saying. So they tried to kill him for blaspheming because they, they didn't believe that he was God. But again, that's only one of the wild things that he says in this one paragraph. Back in verse 51, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. So Jesus not only existed before Abraham who died, but he, as I am, as God, has the ability to, he will never die. He exists in this eternal life that he's always shared with the Father, and he is able to give that to someone else. Do you see the boldness of what Jesus is saying? Because he is God and the source of existence, he can give eternal life to whomever he pleases. So there has never been a time when Jesus did not exist. From eternity past to eternity future, there is always God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit 
he has eternal life and will always be alive. But usually when we talk about eternal life, like if somebody says, you believe in Jesus, you can have eternal life, what do we usually mean by eternal life? You can answer, it's okay. You live forever, and what does that look like? Heaven, thank you very much. That's right, usually when we talk about eternal life, we think of heaven. But the notion of eternal life is much, much bigger than that. So something eternal has no beginning and no end. It always exists. And the only eternally existent being or thing is God. So when Jesus says, if you keep my word, you'll never taste death. When these other texts we saw, if you believe in me, I'll give you eternal life. What is he telling them? He's not just saying you go to heaven when you die. That's true. But that's not the fullness of eternal life. No. If you trust Christ, you become a participant in the eternal life of God. Eternal life is the never-beginning, never-ending life of God. And it's a state of being that only God has. Jesus had this life before he was on the earth. He continues in this life in heaven. But he promises it to those who trust in him. To have a different kind of... The life that you and I have is not eternal life on this earth, what we're born with. But when we believe in Christ, we receive the life of God. We become a participant in this eternal life that is shared by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So Jesus has returned to his Father's house. Yes, it's a location. It's a place called heaven, but it's more than a place. It's a state of being. Jesus has returned to the eternal life of God. And while believers will experience that when they die, all of God's people will experience that forever when Jesus returns. So Jesus has returned to his Father's house, and that house is a location and a state of being. But third, it's a relationship. He's not just going to any old house. He's going to his Father's house, the place where his Father lives. And that implies a relationship. So Jesus today lives on in the joy-filled intimacy of a perfect relationship with the Father. So God the Father loves God the Son, and the Son loves the Father. And in that eternal relationship, there has always been an abundance of mutual joy. And Jesus is experiencing that today. Look in our text, chapter 8, verses 34 through 36, and then we'll jump forward to chapter 14 again. Chapter 8, verse 34 says, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave doesn't remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And now chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so... Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? So Jesus was no stranger to his father or his father's house. He knew that house. He knows all of its rooms. And he has authority in that house as the father's son. What that means is Jesus can walk in and renovate it and add new rooms. And the father is fine with that. He can bring his friends there. Why? Because it's his father's house. And his father's house is his house. His father loves him, and he loves the father, and everything that belongs to the father belongs to the son. In fact, to believe 
in Jesus is to believe in God. You can't believe in one and not the other. There's that level of unity in love and joy between God the Father and God the Son. And that's where Jesus resides today, in perfect love and joy and unity with God, his heavenly Father. It's got to be remarkable. Jesus has returned to his Father's house. It's a location, it's a state of being, and it's a relationship with God. But it's still one more thing. It's also a purpose. When I uh, went to college, my, my children need to plug up their ears at this part. I didn't like going back to my father's house <laughs> after being in college. Why? It wasn't the location. I liked the house. It wasn't even the relationship with my dad or with my mom. I, I had a good relationship with them. No, it was my dad's rules that I didn't like. I'd tasted freedom. I'd been on my own for long enough, and I had my own rules. I did what I wanted when I wanted. I came and went freely. But to be in my dad's house meant being under my dad's rules again, and I didn't want to do that. Jesus doesn't mind that, though, because his purposes and his desires are always aligned with his heavenly fathers. So Jesus now, in his father's house, actively carries out his father's will. This is what Jesus did before he was born. He carried out his father's will. This is what Jesus did when he was on the earth. He always carried out the father's will. And he's doing it now still. But what is his father's work? What is the will of God in which Jesus is actively participating now? Well, back in John chapter 2, Jesus drove a bunch of people out of the temple. And what did he say after doing that? He told those who sold the pigeons in the temple... Take these things away. Do not make what? My father's house, a house of trade. We see this phrase again. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. So here again, we see Jesus using this language of his father's house, but he's not talking about heaven this time. He's talking about the temple. Let's plunder the text together. What activities were supposed to happen in the temple? Help me out. What activities were supposed to happen? Like what what was the, the temple designed for? Worship, I heard that. Sacrifices. Those are that's that's a that's a decent summary. So the temple was designed by God to be a place where sinners were reconciled to God through blood sacrifice, resulting in intimacy-laden worship. That was the purpose of the temple. And when Jesus came in, that's not what he found. Instead, he found a marketplace. And even worse, people who said they wanted to know God, to be in relationship with God, they wanted to worship God. But when God entered the building, they did not receive him. They did not love him. They did not worship him. But the point of the temple was always to restore sinners to God so that they could know God, glorify God, and enjoy God. Wait a second. Knowing God, glorifying God, enjoying God, that sounds like Jesus' relationship with the Father, doesn't it? So the temple was the Father's house. In the temple, God invited sinners to come into his house to know him. And then Jesus walks in and says, I'm the temple. That is, if you really want to know God, if you want your sins washed away, if you want to be reconciled to God, you want to worship God and know God, you need to come to me. I am the temple. Jesus is the source. So Jesus, in his preexistent and earthly life, 
worked to restore sinners to intimacy with his Father, and he's still doing that work today. Here's my point. Jesus isn't twiddling his thumbs in heaven. He's not bored. He is working even today to restore sinners to his Father. Jesus, in his Father's presence, is is exercising his rule and reign to glorify his Father on earth and in heaven. And he's accomplishing that not only through his Holy Spirit, whom he sent, but also by praying to the Father on our behalf. Jesus has returned to his Father's house, and it's not just the location. It's a state of being, the eternal life that he's always had. It's a state of joyful intimacy with the Father, but it's full of purpose and activity. Jesus, even in heaven today, is laboring to glorify his Father. But let me ask another question, which might just seem painfully apparent to you very theologically-minded Presbyterians. Why did Jesus get to go back to his Father's house? On what grounds could he return to his father's house. Why was he allowed to go back home? Well, Jesus has returned to his father's house because his relationship with the father is as it always was and because he was faithful to his father's mission and message. So when Jesus died on the cross and he sensed his father's displeasure with our sin and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus didn't become no longer the son of God. He was still the Son of God in whom the Father delighted. He did not become less than God, nor did his fundamental relationship with the Father change. Because Jesus never failed. Jesus never sinned. Jesus was always faithful to say what his Father wanted him to say, to do what his Father wanted him to do. Jesus was perfect and faithful to God because he is the Son of God. And he claims it right here in chapter 8. Look at verses 25 through 29, and then we'll jump down to verse 35. Verse 25. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but him who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They didn't understand that he'd been speaking to them about the father. So Jesus said to them, when you've lifted up the son of man, referring to the cross, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Verse 35, the slave doesn't remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. Jesus is the son of God. And in his life on this earth, he always did what his father wanted him to do. He always said what his father wanted him to say. He was faithful in every way to the father's message and mission. And so when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he was invited to return to his father's home. Now, you may be wondering, why does any of this matter to me? Who cares that Jesus existed eternally before he came to the earth? Why does it matter that he got to go back to heaven because he was faithful to his father's message? Why is any of this relevant to me in my marriage, in my kids, in my life, in 2023, in St. Tammany Parish? Well, for starters, it's important to be crystal clear on who Jesus is. There's a lot of confusion about who he is and how he relates to God the Father and God the Spirit. And so just the basics of Christology, it's always good for review. 
But there are two other reasons that we're going to visit more fully next week. Remember, as I told you, this is week one of four. We're going to be digging deeper and deeper and deeper into this text. So here's a little preview for next week. Here's how this directly relates to us. First, we don't have the right to claim Jesus' inheritance as our own. How does the text begin? Verse 21, he tells people like you and me, he said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So we, not just as sinners, but as mere creatures, we do not have the relationship with God the Father that Jesus has. And on top of that, none of us has been faithful to God fully, right? So I cannot lay claim to the house that Jesus had. I'm not a son of God on my own. I have not been faithful to the message and mission of the Father. And none of us have. So we cannot lay claim to the Father's house. It's just not ours. But through trusting Christ, his inheritance can be made our own. What did Jesus say? If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You can put away your worship, guys. I hear them all rattling. That's fine. Put, put those away. I don't want you to miss what I'm saying. We do not deserve what Christ deserved. We don't deserve the location, the state of being, the relationship with the Father, because none of us have fulfilled our purpose of glorifying God. And some of you need to hear this. There's not one single person that gets a pass into heaven, into eternal life, into the love of God, into the life that we were made for. We don't deserve it, and nothing you can do will ever make you deserve it. There's not like a, a, a certain righteousness level where if you do just enough, where your good intentions outweigh your bad, that you're going to get a pass. It doesn't work that way. We're not children of God. We have not been faithful to the Father. But Christ deserves these things. And so to lead us toward next Sunday, let me close with what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1. He said, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. We don't deserve Christ's inheritance, but if we trust in him, if we recognize that we have no hope, that we will die in our sins unless we come to Christ, if we will trust in him, the inheritance that Christ deserved can become ours through faith. So I invite you to come back next week. We're going to talk more about that, but the question that every one of us has to be able to answer is this. Do I believe that Jesus is the Son of God that has always existed? And do I believe that he died and was raised from the dead so that I might have this inheritance, this Father's house, that I do not deserve? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, if there's anyone here who is confident in their own works, in their own righteousness, in their own religiosity, I pray that the truth of the gospel will break them, that they will tremble at this realization that none of us deserves the Father's house. That if we do not trust Christ, that he is, if, he, if he is not our Lord and our only hope, the only ground on which we stand, if he is not that, we do not have eternal life. 
We do not, we cannot lay claim to your love and your forgiveness and the purpose that you give your people. And may, Lord, from that fear, may they flee to the cross of Christ and find Jesus to be their all in all. And Lord, for those of us who do have this hope, let us never forget it. And may we become ever more dependent on the work of Christ alone to restore us to the Father and to make us new. Jesus, you're our only hope. May you be our greatest joy, the only one that we trust in. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.